Off top. I don't know if you can see this, but this is a picture of me and sweet Lou Dunbar of the Harlem Globetrotters. I scored Ooh. three points against the Harlem Globetrotters <laughs> in 1991. And the only reason sweet Lou Dunbar didn't block this shot is because he didn't know I was left-handed. So there you go. <laughs> Play the music. It's the Dominique Foxworth Show. All right, so I'm on vacation right now, but you know I wouldn't leave you guys with nothing to listen to, so I recorded a bunch of interviews with NFL Nation reporters, not all of them, just uh, about nine of them that teams I found pretty interesting, so you guys will have something to listen to. So I put them in groups right now. You're going to be listening to Todd Archer with the Cowboys, Marcel Louis-Jacques with the Dolphins, Jeff Legwald, the Broncos. All right, that voice is Jeff Legwald, the um, NFL Nation reporter for the Broncos, who's been doing this for 36 years. So before we get into season preview about the Broncos, in 36 years, you got to have one real good, crazy camp story as you get ready to go into another Denver Broncos training camp. Well, two of my favorites are, one, when I covered the Titans, the tight just after they had moved to Tennessee, uh, a player left training camp because he did not want to get the haircut that they gave rookies. Uh, it was an offensive tackle, but he had long, flowing brown or blonde hair, uh, epic like Thor like <laughs> hair. So what happened? Did he did he come back and get it cut, or he no, just he never he got came cut. back? Oh, yeah, he just oh, like, he, never, and yeah. he he appeared later, but his I guess his girlfriend didn't want him to cut his hair. Uh, and the other one I have is that when I covered the Steelers, uh, we, the media back then, we would stay in the dorms. They were at St. Vincent's in Latrobe, and we would stay in the dorm as well. And one of the players, uh, there, there wasn't so much discussion back then about hydration and the importance of it. And, you know, when I, I mean, hell, when I played high school football, it was like, don't drink water because you guys stink. <laughs> Uh, you know, that was like a punishment, but the player cramped up so badly, he fell over in his room and they couldn't get the door open oh, to get him God. out because he was, he had pinned himself, oh. his body, his whole body cramped up and yeah. he had pinned himself on the yeah. floor and they couldn't get the door open. So My they were gosh. like trying to hand uh, <laughs> water Gatorade and stuff through the crack of the door so he could unfold himself. But it, it was super painful. The poor guy was screaming like crazy, like, oh, I can't, I can't move. But uh, those are my two training, training camps. It's pretty barbaric. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Uh, yeah, uh, full body cramps are the yeah. pits. And that, you know, that, here's your other one that they, the Steelers, did. Uh, that was Bill Cowher's uh, first year in Pittsburgh. So that would have been 92. But they did the Oklahoma drill on the first day of training camp. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Football coaches are so, so weird. Got to separate the men from the boys, Dominique. <laughs> now they get acclimated. Yeah. Oh, we're going to do the Oklahoma drill. And then they wondered why 12 guys were injured after you know it's day so, two. It's, it's so ridiculous because it's like we're going to make you tough or we're going to find out who's – everybody yeah. here is in the NFL. We're tough. Like, yeah. This is not yeah. – we are not. We don't need to get tougher. And, not, and a, 
a fracture is a fracture. I'm not quite sure how you like, you know, improve the sturdiness of uh, you improve it by, by banging into it as much as you possibly can. All right, eat it with a hammer. There, there had to be a moment when the Oklahoma drill went from like the most fun thing ever for you to the least fun thing ever. Uh, high school, college. Well, we didn't do it in college. Never. We did. We did other drills, but no, it was never a problem. Like. Yeah, I was always kind of uh, on the better side. So Oklahoma drill. I remember one time in high school though that we had a, a guy. I wasn't always the biggest guy, but there yeah. was a smaller guy. Smallest guy probably, there was yeah. one guy who was a little bit smaller than me, and I don't know. I was trying to. I got in trouble a couple times for hurting people. Yeah, and games a little too hard. And um, in practice we did Oklahoma drill, and there was one guy who was a little bit smaller than me, and I was going to destroy him. And he got out the way, and I lunged and looked like a dummy. Oh, let's go that guy. Uh, Chris Barr. He was a rapper, too. Oh, nice. He actually had a little bit of fun. Yeah, bars? Yeah, a little bit for a high school kid. Yeah. That's all I remember about him was he's our, our free safety, and he ain't want none of this smoke, and he made me look stupid. That's good for him. A freestyle at the free safety. Yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. I thought you were I, I thought you were about to break into a freestyle for us, <laughs> Jeff. I have to be honest, and I was hoping that you did not. It was <laughs> I did I did I did win a bat one time from a player who was profiling me and said, Hey Leggy, who's your favorite rapper? Like, you know, I, I didn't know any. And I said, Chuck D. And he said, Bullshit. <laughs> and I played him uh I had the song in my phone. Oh. So there you go. <laughs> Public enemy. I love it. All right. So Chuck D is always good vibes, but are the vibes good in Denver? So I remember last year, go around this time. You like the transition right there. Charlie's going to yeah. make fun of me for I that. I loved later. it. That's something I would have done. This is great. I'm rubbing <laughs> off on you. Oh, I That's hate smooth. it. I don't want to be like you. Um, all right. So last year, the vibes around the team felt great. Like we were all really excited um, from the outside what the Denver Broncos going to be with that talented defense and, uh, uh, MVP caliber, at least quarterback, things were feeling good. How do things feel there now? Because that MVP caliber quarterback was not what we expected, but you got Sean Payton there to get things right. Yeah, I think the the two biggest, are, it's a really big difference in terms of uh, sort of the approach. Last year, Nathaniel Hackett came in and the theme almost was happiness and comfort and making sure everybody felt good and, you know, <laughs> going to build, going to build this around, you know, Russ and going to make everybody want to come to work. I, I remember vividly him saying that phrase a lot. We want these guys to want to come to work. Uh, the vibe this year is John Payton doesn't really give a crap <laughs> if anybody's comfortable or happy He's just saying, this is how we're going to do this. And you guys haven't won in a long time. So if you don't like it, you know, vaya con Dios, you know, and I, and I think that's the, that's the biggest difference I feel. And the right. players know it, they understand it. And they say, uh, Peyton's been very clear about it. The, uh, the word they've used a lot is, is transparent. He has made yeah. no secret, uh, you know, yeah. uh, fun house time is over. This is going to be the new attitude you're going to take and you know you guys know the pendulum always swings yeah if, for if coach, the yes. coach who if the coach who gets fired is a disciplinarian the next guy is is more open right. and free We're, and it, it always goes the other way and it has swung the other way as far as it possibly can what level of patience do you think that um champagne's gonna have with rust this season yeah i think you know the contract 
gives it some level of internal patience, whether anybody wants to admit it or not. But I would say, I guess I would say the football patience will be low. You know, he, he's going to have, and, you know, again, Sean, instead of last year, Nathaniel Hackett said, we're going to build this offense around Russ. Uh, Peyton's made it very clear. He's going to ask Russ to play a certain way. And, and I think ultimately, uh, the offense will just make more sense. My my biggest beef since Gary Kubiak uh, stepped away after 2016, my biggest beef with every offensive coordinator they've had since is they seem intent on coaching the team they wish they had instead of the team that's actually on the field. And I think Sean Payton will actually match a game plan with the players he has in uniform and that will improve Russ right from the outset yeah. because uh, yeah, they, they shouldn't have been in three wide at all last year, and yet they played it you know, the most of any personnel grouping, and they couldn't block it uh, ever. And I was taught offense long ago. Ron Earhart sat with me in his office long ago and said, don't call what you can't block, and I live by that credo, and, and they simply called play after play after play that they couldn't block. What um, I mean, you are one of the the reporters that I think has a, a a better grasp on like the actual schematics of the game of football. How and when did you learn it? Is it from you as a player, your own like young playing career or watching tape or reading books? How do you um, develop that? All of the above. You know, I, I am genuinely interested in, I, I talk to as many players every season. I still enjoy that part of it. I, I'm not a I'm not one of these guys who talks about how young people are so much different than me or people, you know, from my time. I I genuinely like hanging out, talking football with the players. And I, I when I started this business, it was far easier to learn the game from coaches because there was no internet. Well, you know, that, that dates me like crazy, (laughs) but, uh, so there were far fewer sort of media Uh a lot of the time. And I, you know, on Monday morning, I would go down the hall and sit with the coaches while they were going through the game sometimes. And, you know, I, I, I still meet with coaches, uh, who I've covered through the years and, and, continually update my my notes and everything I've, I've been to every combine since 87 i've been working through draft players uh scouting players i learned i learned scouting from co bracado one of the greatest scouts of all time so uh, he had he had cancer and died a few years ago but I, i've just been very fortunate to be genuinely curious about this yeah have you given any thought to the the style of offense that you anticipate yep. the Broncos playing this year, given that, given your background and given that they do have a couple of really good receivers and maybe a really good, healthy running back and a quarterback who's, who's shown the ability, even if he hasn't done it in that uniform. Particularly with a good run game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it will look familiar to you, Dominique. <laughs> there, there are elements of the Shanahan offense that I've seen in practice. And I know Sean Payton already. I know that he has a vast library of of Shanahan tape, especially in the run game, play action game that he has referred to over the years. Uh, and I could see it in the Saints' offenses from time to time. But I, I think just again they'll they'll match 
that what they're going to do to their strengths. I think you're going to see more two tight end and more two back stuff here than you would have seen other places because that's the strength of this roster at the moment. And I, I think he thinks that's where he can win a matchup early, early on and not have to do, you know, two years of buildup to get where he wants to go. I, I think he will do that this year because that is the strength of what they have. And I, I think you're going to see some, yeah. some good play action stuff, you know, designed rollouts, moving pockets, those types of things. And I think a more, uh, far more concerted effort to get the ball out of Wilson's hands more quickly. The best thing about that team last year was the defense. Uh, yeah. They were <laughs> championship level defense, frankly, yeah. with an offense that was non-existent. We should mention the stat that's going around for the first 12 weeks of the season that if the Broncos oh. had scored 18 points a game, they would have been 10 and 2 to start the year when they were 3 yeah. and 9. Yeah, no, that's, uh, you know, they finished the year uh, last in the league in scoring, did not even average 17 points. How in the hell are you going to survive in 2022 and you, you can't score 17 points a game? I mean, that's ridiculous in this day and age, and that's where they were at. Yeah. What do you expect to be different about that defense now that they're going from Evero to to Vance Joseph and I guess Bradley Chubb's no longer there? How, how good is this defense going to be, and is there schematic changes that you anticipate? You know, I think uh, – Vance VJ has said he he uh, he's tried to keep a, a lot of the terminology the same, and that he's gone uh, sort of the step of learning that terminology and self instead of making the players do it. So they are keeping elements of what they've done because it's it's work. There's a uh, even uh, Edgero kept a lot of what Vic Fangio had done, uh, especially red zone and that type of stuff because they've been so successful. I think VJ will do the same. I do think Vance Ooh, will VJ, be more. We're aggressive. on nickname basis. Oh, I mean, no, VJ I, is I, my, I, my dog. VJ, we listen to Chuck D together. It was that. Look at you <laughs> dropping on me. Like you're profiling me, man. That's not. That's not right. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh gosh. No, Vance. Vance will be more aggressive in the pass rush. I think. <laughs> I think Edgero felt like he couldn't go after it all the time because the offense was so bad that. <sighs> Yeah. If you did, if the gamble didn't pay off, you were going to give up field position and touchdowns that the team couldn't afford to give up. But I think I think Vance will have the luxury of being more aggressive in the pass rush. I think that will be the biggest difference. But uh, the starting point is Sertan. He's he's right, as good yeah. as I've ever seen. And, and well, I mean, not as you've ever seen. He's, he's... champ. Champ was on the team. <laughs> Yeah. No, he's, he's at this point in his career, uh, uh, he's really yeah. special. I'll never yeah. compare anybody to Champ for sure. But and I don't like to do that to guys. But he's 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 really good in his. It's his a lot harder. Is, yeah, it's a lot harder. His head to, is, right. Yeah, yeah. He's a really smart player, and he's yeah. grew up around yeah, the game. He, his dad's, but it's a lot harder to play corner today. Like yeah. it was really hard to play corner back in my day, but it's a lot harder to play corner today than it was back then. So I'm with There's you. There's a but. great. There's a great tidbit with that. I don't know if you got a minute, but uh, oh, yeah. Jack Del Rio, when he was here, he he showed the team uh, just kind of as a lark in a team meeting. He showed the defense of guys uh, some Orange Crush video that the Broncos' great defense of the Orange Orange Crush years. And after he did it, I asked Champ. I said, "What'd you think?" And he said, "Man, Louis Wright is just." tackling guys in coverage <laughs> yeah it was not he couldn't believe he couldn't believe i could play even back then and and now it's so it's so even a step 
beyond. Yeah, the rules were very different. And that was back when you weren't allowed to drink water and you had to prove your toughness by <laughs> doing Oklahoma's on day one. So I think we're in a, a much better place than we were back then as far as talent and the way the game is played. Um, I did want to talk to you a little bit about Mike Shanahan. I think uh, he's somebody that you and I both have, it seems like a similar relationship with that He's a lot nicer now than he was when we had to spend <laughs> our daily lives with him. But uh, uh, what was it like working with him and, and what's your guys' relationship like now? You know, Mike, I, I will say when I covered Mike on a day-to-day basis, when my phone rang at 5.45 a.m., I knew exactly uh, who it was. So uh, if he was perturbed about something, because he used to read uh, a lot of teams uh, will print out the day's stories you know, in a packet, and they'll hand it out to the coaches and everything. Well, Mike used to read that packet on the Stairmaster when he got to the Broncos every morning. So if he would hit my stuff and he didn't like it, he would instantly – so, yeah, when it when it rang at 5.45 a.m., I knew he had, he had uncovered a sentence he wasn't particularly happy with. But uh, Mike was an intense – you know, yeah. we, intense as intense guy. as intense can be, but – uh, a really gifted play caller. And, you know, he, I think, I, I believe he is the bridge uh, of what Bill Walsh was yeah. doing into into today's game. Because Mike specifically went to the 49ers uh, to learn how they prepared for championships. Yeah, he wanted to work for the 49ers because they had Steve Young at quarterback and Jerry Rice at receiver, Ricky Waters, and it was a great place to be a play caller. You know, Steve, I don't think people always think that Steve Young's six touchdown Super Bowl is Mike Shanahan on the headset. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the, his impact on the league is pretty impressive. I mean, yeah. you know, there is, it feels like there's not an offense left in football that doesn't have some Shanahan influence, yeah. if not being run by a true Shanahan disciple. And he's given us Kyle, who is a whole lot of fun to watch, even though he can't quite get over the hump as far as the championship's concerned. I think he will at, um, at some point. Is there anything about this team that, we haven't touched on yet that uh, you want to make sure that we are alert to or looking out for, we can anticipate how high are the expectations there, I think is also a question I have. You know, it's interesting because, you know, you, you've lived it. So yeah. uh, this, this place is, it borders on religion when it's really yeah. going. But uh, I think the expectation is, is just don't stink on offense. I mean, please, <laughs> you know, I love it. It's a weird, it's a weird dynamic. Now, I think fantasy football has sort of changed how some yep. people consume football. You know, that sort of roster construction and the rest of it is, is I think, has been bumped down the list now for some fans. And you know, if people like football, I, I don't much care how they come to that. But uh, I think it has made the emphasis on, you know, no one's going to say you're good. If you're good on defense anymore, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think, and I don't, and I don't think anybody will say, and I think coaches feel this sometimes they're not going to say you're a genius if you run the ball well. No, and I don't, I think it's, if you can't throw the ball and score touchdowns, no one's going to put you in the, right. in the, you're good category. I mean, their, their problem here is a basic one. Pat, Patrick Mahomes is 27 years old, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, same problem for the rest of the league. Yeah. yeah, he, yeah. he ain't going anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, they. I've said here, you you can talk to me about playoffs right. and wild card, whatever, but they haven't beaten the Chiefs yeah. 
since Patrick Mahomes became the starter. So don't don't talk to me about the postseason or any of the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, until you beat the Chiefs like one time. So <laughs> I, I think that's where they're at. Okay, so we're gonna pivot to a game that me and Dominique play often in talking about sports and these topics. It's if then. I'm gonna give you like a you know hypothetical and you'll both have to tell us what will have to happen for that hypothetical to become reality. Um, first one, if this Broncos team makes the playoffs, then blank. Um, I guess I'll start. Yeah. Uh, if the Broncos make the playoffs, then, then it was a successful year, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, I think the, the issue with the Broncos making the playoffs is this is not a, a team that's constructed at least last year to make the playoffs. That still feels like a disappointment. Like this team, I know we have to get past the Chiefs or they have to get past the Chiefs, but this is a championship like built roster and coach. Like they are not shelling out all these Walmart bucks to come up shy. So I, I understand that making the playoffs is a thing, but I feel like it's not high enough. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, I think, you know, then it's a good start. You know, I think this year maybe it's worth the hug, (laughs) and next year it's like, all right, get down to business. Because this is not a deep team. You know, their front line, you know, the top of the depth chart is playoff worthy. But if they have multiple injuries at a couple spots, they're in some legitimate trouble. So uh, they need a lot of good fortune this year to, to sort of turn it into a, a wild card playoff. Uh, and that would be a success, I think. Yeah. But then I think that, I mean, they, they're they paying big money. They've, yeah. they've made paid one of the highest paid coaches in the league. They've, they've spent big on players. They made some of the assistants highly paid guys. I think the new strength coach is the highest paid strength guy in the league. So, I mean, they're, they're, they have the league's biggest checkbook and it ain't close and, and they're using it. All right, Charlie. Okay. Follow up. Uh, The opposite side of the coin. If Russell Wilson isn't the starting quarterback to end the season, then blank. You got it, Jeff. Uh, Then they're in financial cap hell because they can't do much. You know, they're paying Russell Wilson regardless. Right. And he impacts the cap at a very foundational level through the 2024 season. So he has to be a starter mm-hmm. uh, unless he's, unless he's injured. But if, if he, if he plays his way out of the job, then that's, that's a financially crushing uh, occurrence. I mean, you guys don't not instead them. We trust. Is that, is that their, their no, they have, <laughs> they, yeah, they'd play them and, and have to, but I'm just saying financially, right. even if you wanted to get rid of Russell Wilson. You yeah. can't really do it right. until the after 2024. All right, Jeff. Well, it's great to hear from you again. Always fun. This was outstanding. We have to do this again um, later in the season when the Broncos are have finally gotten their first win over Patrick Mahomes. It'll be great. Or if you just have a week where you need like 72 inane stories, just I'm your guy. <laughs> Dial me up. Yeah, we might just have I, to sit here for a couple of hours and record, yeah. and record them all because you got some good stories. I appreciate you, Matt. All right, man. Take it easy. Thank you. We'll see you. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Northeastern zone, the great Todd Archer headed into his 27th NFL training camp. Is that about right? Yeah, sounds about right. I feel like... Went way too many. <laughs> no, I feel like there has to be some outrageous story that you have from all those. I will not pressure you to do that right now. I mean, 27 years of going to NFL training camps, something has had to happen. So I'll let you think about that, unless you got one for me right now, off the top. Well, first training camp, Wilmington College, covering the Bengals in Ohio. It was an old dorm room, and you had to plug everything into, like, you know, old old college dorms. You had to plug everything into like one outlet basically. So you got that little extender deal. Oh. If you had the TV going and the air conditioning unit going and <laughs> everything blew. So, and I was like five rooms down from where Mike Brown was staying. Oh, the owner of the team. That makes oh, sense. So that plays. The first one that yeah. I was going to say, why the hell would Mike Brown stay there? But they, they also waited a long time to change the name of the stadium. So they money. Hey, is Jeremy Jones funny. stays at the residence inn when we're in Oxnard too now. So I refuse to believe that. I can I will not. He might have it. a place up in Santa Barbara as well. <laughs> yeah. but he or he's got he's got one room in there that's that's super souped up. I can't imagine that Derry Jones exposed himself to anything. When we did negotiations for CBA a long time ago, I remember we stayed in one of these places on the outskirts of Chicago. And Jerry Jones is everyone came in like a town car and would go to the hotel room, except for Jerry. He brought his bus. And so you were just in the like, bus. Yeah. The famous <laughs> we're bus. like 45 minutes outside of Chicago, like a nowhere town that no one knows about. And it's like a pretty nice resort. And it's just regular cars all around. And then there's a big old Cowboys bus in the middle of Chicago. It was one of the best things ever. I don't think he slept in it. I hope not. Probably not. Anyway. Yeah, maybe it's probably nicer than whatever hotel I was sleeping in. <laughs> All right. So um, there's only one place to start uh, when we talk about the Cowboys America's team is with the Dak Prescott, the Mike McCarthy and formerly coordinated offense by Kellen Moore. It didn't make a whole bunch of sense to me that they would move on from Kellen Moore. Their offense has been great and they seem to be insinuating that they no longer want to be as explosive i don't want to say as good but it's like they 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 seem to want to uh tone down the offensive effectiveness and explain this to me and tell me why i'm wrong well i i don't think i i think you're a reference in mike saying i want to run the damn ball kellen wants to put up a whole bunch of points kind of thing right right i, I think that kind of got misconstrued a little bit in his delivery in terms of like protecting his defense i just don't kellen is more he thought whether true or not Kellen was playing like a pinball game and trying to be effective that way. Although the numbers last year really don't speak to that because right. the Cowboys ran the ball more than 
uh, than, than a lot of teams did. But I think it got to this. When he came to the Cowboys in 2020, he said, I want to keep Kellen Moore in place for Dak, help Dak's development. And he let it go for, for three seasons. Uh, and, and he finally just said, you know what? I'm the right guy to make this offense even better. We're going to find out. And, you know, every year Mike McCarthy's on the hot seat. Right. They've gone 12 and five each of the last two seasons. And he's still considered a below average coach, which I don't really understand because only the Chiefs have won more games than the Cowboys. But now if the offense is on him, you can pin more on him. And he right. believes, okay, if you're going to pin it on me anyway, let me run it and I'll run my offense. And they spent this offseason doing what Dak called the Texas Coast. It's going to be a lot of the same stuff that they've run really since 2014 when Scott Linehan was a, the, the OC and Kellen took over in 2019 with some of what Mike McCarthy has done in the West Coast scheme and Brian Schottenheim in the West Coast scheme. So I don't know how different this is really going to look, but if it's not as effective, then McCarthy has put all of this season on himself and maybe it was going to be there anyway. Yeah, it's... Is the hot seat something that we've created outside of Dallas for Mike McCarthy? Because you point up his track record, and he's also has a Super Bowl under his belt with the um, Green Bay Packers. Is that a real thing? It's real to a degree. I don't think it's going to be like if they start 0-3, he's gone. But it, it's easy to add up 2 plus 2 when it comes to the Cowboys because of Jerry Jones and the where he is and, and wanting to win a Super Bowl and what he believes this roster can be. And oh, by the way, he has one of the highest paid assistant coaches on the staff and Dan Quinn that he has kept from taking a head coaching job each of the last two seasons. So all of that stuff kind of adds up to, it certainly looks like the hot seat, If even if it's not. Um, they'll publicly say Mike is the guy and, and he's he's won a Super Bowl in, in Green Bay and he's right. taken the Cowboys one step further in each of the last two years. So I don't know how hot it is, but Jerry has high expectations for this team in this season. And really, they did things this offseason that they have not really done. And that's trading for Brandon Cooks, trading for uh, Stephon Gilmore, giving up low-round low draft picks. It was something not done. Now, free agency, they've handled the same way. But they've kind of put all of their eggs into this basket this year to say, okay, and here you go, Mike. You're getting the shot. The shot that Jason Garrett never got at the end of his tenure. Apologize for the visual, but when we keep talking about how hot Mike McCarthy's seat is, all it does is remind me of that time when he was talking about butt pace. <laughs> Wasn't he talking about like some sort of calming? Was that, was that last season where he was talking about, uh, no, I made this up. Everyone's looking at me like I'm crazy. Did I, don't, I, I don't remember this one. Did I dream about? There's nobody with the Cowboys I can forget. I forget okay, a lot. Charlie, Charlie, take over while I fi while I figure out what, what I'm talking about, and I hope don't embarrass myself. We might just have to cut all this out. Uh, no, no, no. Butt powder? There we go. Yep. It wasn't paste. Was it was that powder. Was Green Bay? Uh, 2021, Mike McCarthy. Huh. Anti-monkey butt powder. There you go. Remember, he oh, was he saying that. chafing. Yeah, it was something about chafing. Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. My man hates the chafe. <laughs> Um, I think it was a pregame speech that he used it. <laughs> um, you mentioned the uh, trading for Brandon Cooks. And I actually think this is fascinating because right or wrong, uh, us in the media probably made way too much about Dak Prescott's interceptions last year. Um, wrong. You know. Right or wrong. The answer is wrong. You sure. were definitely wrong in the way that you guys in the media, because I, I choose not to include myself, picked on Dak Prescott for a bunch of tip ball interceptions, even though he's had a long career of not turning. The well, ball we've off. got we've got a lot of things that are going to change this offseason. We got Dak saying there will be fewer tipped interceptions. They have Brandon Cooks 
They have Michael Gallup the year after the year after the injury. They have Tony Pollard playing as a three down back, probably for the first time in his career. And you have Dak saying this is the first offseason in his career where they're building after two after two 12 win seasons. How much of that is 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 sustainable? Is this offense going to be significantly safer and lower leverage having dependable skill position players after CD Lamb? You know, you, you look at Mike McCarthy's track record, uh, and you can go back to New Orleans. Uh, one year, Aaron Brooks had the lowest interception percentage in the NFL. I think it was 2003, 2004, or something like that. Uh, when he came into Green Bay, Favre went from 35 interceptions. I can't believe it's that. Maybe it was maybe it was 25 mm-hmm. or 28, mm-hmm. down to 18 interceptions his first year. And look, in Aaron Rodgers, his whole career, we know he, he only had more than 10 interceptions twice in his time with Mike up there in Green Bay. So his track record suggests Dak's not going to throw picks. And you know who else's track record suggests he's not going to throw picks? is Dak Prescott's yeah. track record. Uh, so, you know, last year was kind of the anomaly. I mean, it, his second year in 2017, they didn't have Zeke for six of those games because of his suspension at one point. They, they, their, their receiver core really didn't play as well as they thought it would. Um, and so he threw, I think, 13 interceptions this, la- that year. And then last year... You know, he, he had a lot of tip balls. I'm thinking Peyton Henner shot off his hands. Um, Noah Brown, Jacksonville, the, the overtime game, off his hands, perfectly throwing ball low and away from the defender, tips up into the guy's hands, and they score the game-winning touchdown. Now, there were also interceptions that Dak forced throws where he shouldn't have. Chicago into the half, go to see Lamb down the middle of the field. Dude, there's 30 seconds left, and you're up by 21 points. Why are you getting greedy? I think there were times where he got greedy last year. And it burned him. And I think Mike might coach that stuff out of him um, while maintaining a certain level of aggressiveness. But this, I, I view last year as the anomaly, not what Dak Prescott has been because the first six years of his career say otherwise. All right. The um, What stops them? I guess the Eagles is the answer. But the more I study the Cowboys and prepare for the season, and we haven't even talked about the defense yet, which is probably even better than the offense and especially adding Gilmore to Diggs and Micah Parsons and Lawrence. Like this is a pretty loaded unit. The Cowboys, I feel like often get overhyped, but I kind of feel like right now there's a, they feel like there's a bit of a sleeper. This is our this is our land from last year too. The Cowboys underrated by the media. <laughs> Back to fiction. Yeah, I think the offensive line, offensive line, and, and Zach Martin uh, figuring that out is the one place when I look at this roster where I'm like, <sighs> get a little nervous. But is there something else to be concerned about? Um, running back behind Tony Pollard. Right. You know, it's Ronald Jones. It's Malik Davis. It's Rico Dowdle. You know, if Ronald Jones is the guy that. When Tampa won the Super Bowl, you'd be okay with that guy. He had a solid season. I think he led the – now it was, you know, Fournette during the playoff run, but he had a solid season for the Bucs that year. Um, tight end replacing Dalton Schultz. We know how much the tight end means to Dak Prescott when he had Jason Witten, Dalton Schultz. You're asking Jake Ferguson, second-round pick, Luke Schoomaker, Hayden Hendershop to kind of do everything that Schultz has done the last couple of years. But I, I think at the top of the list has to be the offensive line and not just for boring football speak, but because it's actually true. Like Tyron Smith hasn't played a full season since 2015, and I don't think he's going to play a full season this year. History tells you he won't. So where do the Cowboys go if he gets hurt? You move Tyler Smith out to left guard. How is Terrence Steele coming back at right tackle from his serious knee injury? Uh, you, you know, if they move Tyler Smith to left guard, 
Chuma Adoga is your left guard. You know, if you've heard of him, raise your hand. Um, yeah, and then Zach Martin throwing the stuff onto the, the this week with the hey, I might not come to cut training camp because I want to get my contract redone. So this offensive line holds a key for the Cowboys as it really has going back for almost a decade now, yeah. if not longer, um, when they were built up as the best line in football. There's still a really good line, not top five probably, but if they can stay healthy and keep the guys in the same spots, at least for a majority of the games, I think the Cowboys will be okay offensively, but they'll really – Dominique, you said it. This is a team that's really built on its defense now. Yeah. Over under divisional round for the Cowboys. Is this fair? Charlie's going to get mad at me for putting you in this position. No, no, no. This is fair. Because you, are you doing this because of the Dak stat that he's 0-3 in the divisional round? Yeah, and I think yeah. that's the benchmark. Yeah. I think if they get past the divisional round, we feel like it's a successful season. They fall short. I agree with that. Yeah, if they fall short, I think we think that they've yeah they've kind of squandered this, this – um, this window that they're in. Yeah, and I don't know if the window would close necessarily after this year, because if you look at the roster, aside from a couple guys, it, it is a fairly young roster, but they'll have certainly a lot of contract decisions they'll have to make on, on guys. But I, I think it has to be get beyond the division round. Uh, Dak's been here in 2016. He's been here in 2018 and he, and he was here last year and 2016 might've been the best team that they had. The 2018 kind of got hot after the Amari Cooper trade. And then, and then last year, you know, he played poorly. There's no other way to say it against San Francisco. Uh, he's really played poorly in the two playoff games um, against San Francisco. So it has to have, it's usually Super Bowl bust, but I guess it's NFC title game or bust. And, you know, there's a stat I think I sent to you guys since 1980, there's only been three quarterbacks that have been the quarterback as long as Dak has been with his original team to make a Super Bowl for the first time. Man, this is a convoluted stat. Uh, <laughs> Peyton Manning took his ninth year. Kenny Anderson took his tenth year, and Matt Ryan, I think, it took his eighth year wow. before he first reached the Super Bowl. I like it. It just doesn't happen. And so you better do it now, or more than likely, it's not going to happen. And I wonder if that's why the Cowboys are maybe not taking their time on a DAC extension, but focusing on other guys because they kind of know that stat too. And instead of throwing fifty plus million at a guy. You have a solid roster and you do what you did in 2016 and have a rookie quarterback like Dak come in. Now, that's maybe fool's gold, yeah. but it might be fool's gold expecting Dak to do something in year nine or ten that he hadn't done in first in first one through eight. Yeah, I think Gilmore is an addition that we haven't talked much about. Uh, I was really excited about when I saw that happen because obviously I'm a cornerback and he's one of the better ones in the league. I think how big of an impact from a very good defense, how big of an impact are you guys expecting Stephon Gilmore to have? Huge. And it's not a lot of it is, you know, the cornerbacks opposite Trayvon Diggs got picked on, whether it's Anthony Brown or Deron Bland or whoever they threw out there by the end of last year when, when guys were hurt. Um, it's more what he brings in his experience. In my view, the first time we talked to him, he was asked, how good can this defense be? How good can you guys go to Super Bowl? And he went total Belichick. Like he, you could tell he was coached up in New England by Bill. And he's like, None of that matters. It just matters about putting the work in each week, da, da, da. all that stuff where I think a lot of times with this team and young stars trying to figure it out, they get lost in the mess of playing for the Cowboys. And I think he can be a calming influence, not only in that secondary, but for their entire defense because he's been there and done that. And what he says, players will buy. 
that actually the the Gilmore thing I think is fascinating for the defense as a whole, but also for Diggs and I for both of you. Yeah. What does he do for uh, Trayvon Diggs, who has been, I don't know, the highest risk cornerback in the NFL over the last couple of years? Highest highs, lowest lows I, yeah. in certain ways. So he, I would, I get what you're saying on the Trayvon yeah. Diggs thing, and I remember all that. But I think Trayvon Diggs' style of play is a little different. But overall, the value they provides for the team is is much higher. So I'm, I'm saying yeah. that to say that I'm not sure that we want. Uh, Stefan Gilmore influence on Trayvon Diggs. Okay. I think that it's about having that that contrasting style. And I wouldn't ask, I wouldn't personally, I wouldn't ask um, Trayvon Diggs to play differently because I like, I mean, it's fine. You're going to give up a touchdown every now and then, but as long as you make these plays and maybe Stefan Gilmore brings a little bit more uh, intelligence to the way that Diggs takes plays the game. But I, I feel like Diggs, Dix takes risk at the right times when I watch him play. Like, I don't have a problem. What do you think about that, Todd? Yeah, I, I think last year he did a better, much better job. And I'm, I'm, maybe the, the the stats don't back me up on this, but I can think of one game where he gambled and lost on a, on a Cooper Cup 75-yard right. uh, touchdown. Uh, and I'm sure there are others. But I thought he was much more in control of where he was and understanding time, score, field position, all that kind of stuff, and when he could take some chances. Um I, what I find fascinating about the Trayvon Diggs conversation is when, when Byron Jones was a cornerback here, he had a great year, I think, it was, before he signed with Miami, um, and he made the Pro Bowl, and he didn't have an interception. He had two interceptions in four years, and all the Cowboys said was like, well, we, we want a guy to make plays, so they never really offered anything to Byron. Now they got a guy that makes plays, and you have people, <laughs> not the organization, you have people saying, well, he gives up too much stuff. Yeah. I'd rather have the guy that's making plays for me and taking the ball away you know, right. on average of what do we want to say, five, six, seven times right. a year than a guy who's right. just going to knock the ball down. And that, that plays into the offense. Yeah, I'd also say that there's there's a value in having him out there that doesn't always get um, calculated in that quarterbacks are scared. Yeah, <laughs> they're they are. They are scared. And it impacts is impacts the the routes that they run over there, the chances that they take and uh, maybe. They'll go attack Gilmore, which doesn't seem smart either. Um, all right, before we wrap up, I think that we shouldn't leave this conversation without saying something about Micah Parsons, but I don't know what to say. He's a perfect football player. Like, what is there to say other than uh, can he win the MVP? Like, I don't know. Is, is there any other conversation? Is there any other steps that Micah Parsons can can take to contribute to this team? I, I can't think of it other than, okay, get 20 uh, twenty sacks this year, or, or he might not have – I don't know if he's intercepted a pass in his career, so maybe get one pick at something that he's not done. But for all the people who get like he needs to be an edge rusher or a linebacker, he's going to do the same things that he's done really the all of last season. Right. He wasn't a linebacker. He was a he was an edge rusher who dropped back off the ball, and you know, I, you'll see him being in multiple roles. He's not going to just line up over the left tackle all the time. Dan Quinn's smart enough to know that's not the best way to use Micah Parsons. And you'll see him continue to move around that scheme to create mismatches. And I think the pass rush might be the biggest influence for Trayvon Diggs and Stephon Gilmore uh, and helping those guys take the ball away. 
Yeah, I think um, I describe Micah Parsons as kind of like the high school player where there's one guy that's just better than everybody else. So it doesn't really matter <laughs> where you put him on the field. He's going to have an impact. And when you go to a high school game, there's like, hey, that guy would be the best quarterback on the field. He'd be the best receiver on the field, best DN and best safety. You just got to put him out there and let him and let him work. And I love that. He about could play running Parsons. back. Put him at running back <laughs> behind Tony Pollard. He was going to get some snaps at Penn State. And you want to change the way that we pay running backs, put Micah Parsons back there and then running <laughs> there backs go. will all get paid so anyway anyway thanks a lot Todd for joining us and yeah, you good gotta... luck this season I hope your Cowboys make a deep run because it'll be fun for everybody <laughs> thanks appreciate it guys this episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. The great and good Marcel Louis-Jacques, who is the... NFL Nation reporter for the Miami Dolphins. Good luck because you are in training camp with the Miami Dolphins this year. I know you've done it before, so please, good luck to you. Stay stay up. I don't know if you got any tips or tricks for us, but if you don't have any of those, you can tell us what's most interesting about this team coming up this season because I certainly think that they might be the most intriguing team in all of the NFL for me because I got to be honest with you, in that division that seems to be very tough, I could see them in last place of that division and I could see them in the AFC championship game. Well, hold on about last place. The New England Patriots still very much play in this division with McCorkle Jones throwing to Devontae Parker and Juju Smith-Schuster. So like, let's not... <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got you. I agree with you. However... Your starting quarterback is a bump away from not playing football anymore. So that's my point. My point is the future of this team is the talent on the team and the coaching on the team. Yeah, they're top of the division type of people. And the quarterback on the team, top of the division type of people. Once you lose that quarterback and now you guys try to address that with picking up, not you guys, I mean, you're, you're not on the team, but the Dolphins try to address that by picking up uh, Mike White from the from uh, the Jets. I don't know if that's going to be enough. I'm going to let y'all in on just like a little bit of a secret, a little, little industry secret here too. Skylar Thompson outplayed Mike White during spring practice. Mm. The seventh round rookie from last year who started the playoff game against the Bills. I'm just saying he outplayed Mike White during the spring. That's why we that's why we got you here, because I was not watching uh, spring practices for the Dolphins. I did not know that. And he did. He played really well in that um, playoff game. All things considered, they were competitive. That was a winnable game late in the game with Skylar Thompson. Right. Yeah. I was about to call him Skylar White, but that's just <laughs> combining <No>. the two. <laughs> I think White Skylar. I can't wait for those memes. I never even put that together. Until this exact moment. But I, I personally, I thought that Skyler probably should have started against the Patriots 
which was their week 17 game last year. And not just that game, uh, the season finale against the Jets, the win and in uh, once Teddy was hurt. Uh, I thought he gave a little bit more of an upside. I think Teddy was just a little bit safer. But Skyler came, he could play, man. Like, he, he could play. You could tell the processing wasn't quite there yet. He wasn't used to the speed of the game quite yet and still used to like what he can get away with in college versus what you can get away with in the NFL. But I saw a I saw a, a second-year quarterback. I saw a veteran quarterback essentially during spring practice. We'll see what happens during training camp. Everything I hear about Mike White, people say he's a gamer. Not going to turn heads that. in practice. I love not going to blow you away in practice. I hate but he, it. I love he it. Play. I hate it. It's this, a mess. This is we've, a we've seen the numbers. Yeah. I mean, me and Charlie are so alike in so many ways <laughs> and so different in so many ways. That gamer bullshit. I don't like that. Hey, we play hey, to win the game. You And you also practice like you play. That's what you like. Ain't nobody. This gamer foolish. When the lights come on, you will see. No. Do that shit Monday through Friday. And then maybe I'll put you out there on Sunday. But what would you rather? Would you rather a practice hero and That's doesn't right. show up when the lights are on, or would you rather your your boo boo in practice, but you go throw for three hundred, four hundred? This is why this is why Dominique loves he loves Andrew Wiggins, he loves DeAndre Ayton. He's a he's a neck down all American guy. No, no, That's no, all no, no. all he loves. So, Can you look good in practice? The point is, <laughs> neither of those things really exist. Like I, there are guys who play who practice pretty well and then don't play super well. But the fact of the matter is, the guys who you can't stop in practice, they the same dudes that you can't stop on Sunday. And y'all make up this fiction of how some guys they don't they're just gamer. Mike White, all he does is win. Okay, I don't want to get hung up on this. That is an interesting thing because this is one of the teams that the backup quarterback is important, incredibly important, and they've uh, they've drafted and they've mm -hmm. uh, signed understanding that it's important and understanding that they could lose their quarterback. So that's got my attention. The offensive line improvements got my attention. Jalen Ramsey and Vic Fangio joining Bradley Chubb, Xavier Howard, and um, uh, Holland in the secondary. Uh, this team is pretty stacked. So again, I, I feel like I, I keep asking what's the most interesting thing, but I should stop asking that. Let's just go down the list of all the most interesting things. What do you want to hit next, Marcel? I love that you mentioned Vic Fangio because I know what you know about it. I don't know, Charles. I know everybody on this show right now understands the Dolphins hired Vic Fangio. But ever since Aaron Rodgers was traded to the Jets, it felt like everybody forgot because all of a sudden the Jets became yeah. the darling and the Bills are defending champs. So they they, are, they obviously earned the respect there. But talk about it's a two like it's a two horse division. No, no. Not at all. In terms of active defensive minds in the NFL right now, it's Belichick and Vic Fangio. They're, they're right there. And this is after Fangio had a year basically in the lab, spent in a beach house cooking up new schemes and coverages. You give him possibly the best defensive secondary yeah. in the NFL if they remain healthy. Because with, like you said, with Ramsey on one side, Howard on the other, and Holland deep. Holland, who, since he's a rookie, I've been saying this is a superstar in waiting. There is nowhere downfield where you throw the ball and you feel safe. There's there's no way. The idea of being in a beach house and spending it thinking up defensive schemes sounds very sad and depressing, but it sounds also very Fangio. I, I, he was uh, <laughs> one of the sick. coaches on the staff when I was in Baltimore. So like I know him pretty well. I, I understand the scheme pretty well. And it's uh, you have to have a veteran unit in a secondary. 
or at least an experience unit in the secondary because it's all like cover four based and it's a lot of route combinations. There's a lot of anticipation. It's a lot of pressure on them from the secondary side. And on the D-line, there's always, you need a pass rusher. You need a pass rusher because at least for the Dolphins, the last time they were really good on defense and last year they were injured a bunch, but the last time they were really good on defense, it was Brian Flores and it was a lot of man coverage and blitzing the hell out of everybody. Vic Fangio isn't, gonna do that nearly as much they have blitzes but it's like no we're gonna line up and we're gonna put out our defense we're gonna do what we do we're gonna make it hard on you and you're gonna have to beat us we're not gonna try to game around this this situation we're just gonna prepare and uh and force you to make the right decisions time and time again uh i don't have a question i just said that because i thought it was important (laughs) to say so I'll, i'll say that there was a situation last season uh, against the when the Dolphins played the Bills early in the first quarter, I think it was the first drive of the game. Third and long, the Dolphins ran cover zero blitz. Stephon Diggs torches Xavier Howard for like a fifty yard reception. That's not going to happen anymore. You're not going to see just random cover zero blitz for the hell of it anymore. Matter of fact, somebody asked Vic Fangio at his intro presser, you know, what's your philosophy on blitz? And Vic just stands there, stares at him. He's like, as I see fit. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, it's, let me get <laughs> Yeah. I think the way I would explain it um and I don't know Vic, he was never the defensive coordinator but in this uh scheme generally blitz is if you see an opening. So like if you recognize that they have a weak spot here or if you find an inconsistency, one of the things that we would always look for is in shotgun what side the back was on cuz that would determine which way the line would push. And then we would find other teams that blitz uh, to the backside. You always want to blitz to the backside because then you force the back to have to pick somebody up. And that's what he's looking for. He's looking for an opportunity to where the blitz is going to come clean without outnumbering. And that's the thing about zero blitz. Zero blitz ain't about scheme. It's like we got a guy for everyone, including your quarterback. So you can't block everybody. And that's the thing. Fangio's not out here just like we're going to overpower you. Going to try to outthink you and find advantages here or there. Exactly. Exactly. And again, he's got the players to do it. He's got the secondary to do it. There are some questions about who's going to start at safety opposite of Holland. Brandon Jones is coming off a torn ACL. I thought he was having a great season, uh, kind of really improving uh, in his coverage ability. He's always known as kind of like a box safety, a guy who's going to go off the edge. Who, If you're going to send a DB, you know, I think he and Holland actually led the league in, in pressures among defensive backs uh, during their year and a half together. But he's come back from a torn ACL. Deshaun Elliott, they signed him from the Detroit Lions. He's another option to start. But really, those big three, the Holland, Ramsey, Howard, if they stay healthy, you know, definitely the, the especially the corners, if they stay healthy, it's going to be a hard team to, to pass against. And they've got the pass rushers. They're paying Bradley Chubb 120 million. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ramsey went from being just kind of a, a, a corner back in Jacksonville to being a defensive back, I guess the way, best way to put it, in um, Los Angeles, where he would play nickel, he would play safety, he would play corner, they'd move him around, they'd blitz him, they'd do a bunch of things with him. Are we expecting the same thing in Miami, or are they just going to put him out on the outside and let him be corner? Yeah, they're trying to play it coy when, okay. whenever that's brought up here. The you know he's best at cornerback. We're gonna play him where he's best. Mm-hmm. But like, let's not let's not pretend that he's not gonna be moved all over this defense. You have a weapon like Jalen Ramsey. You use him wherever you can. That's what made it so successful. That's how he took that big superstar leap in in Los Angeles. Was he's not just defined by one position. You have to account for him 
and on several areas of the field. And sometimes you might lose track and that's where he's going to make you pay. So yeah, I, I would expect him to bounce around. We haven't seen him. He's still rehabbing that shoulder injury during the spring. So he did position drills and then spent team drills on the sideline. So we haven't been able to see. And honestly, it's against the rules for me to tell you, even if I did see <laughs> like what exactly he did. But uh, that is my expectation is, yeah, he's going to be moved around somewhat frequently. One thing we keep hearing from Ramsey, from Howard, from, you know, Cater Kohu, any defensive back we talk to is this scheme is built on versatility among defensive backs. There's a lot of ways for them to get on the field, which means they got to know uh, a lot of different assignments, a lot of different positions. And he's as cerebral as they come. I would expect him to be used in multiple ways. The offensive side of the ball is normally where people would like to spend most of their time, but we start on defense because we're a respectable podcast and show, but we'll move to the offense. For the now. scholars. <laughs> yeah. We'll move to the offense. Now, uh, Mike McDaniel was, like on track to be coach of the year. He was like going down as one of the best young coaches we've seen in this league. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was a young McVay at the beginning of last, of, uh, last season. And they continued to find ways to get offense even though their quarterback was injured. So I guess I, I want to know what you expect from them this season. You expect an improvement, a regression, uh, a scheme change. They've addressed some issues at offensive line. They helped their running game start to come along as the season came along last year. And I know that's a core piece to the all the Shanahan disciples. Yeah, I'm, I am obviously got to start with Tua Tungabailoa. But while most of the, the football world, is focused on, you know, his health, you know, can he make it through a season? Like, yeah, I, I want to see that as well. He's yet to play 16, 17 games. I'm looking for his comfortability in this offense. It's the first time he's entering the second year of an offensive system mm -hmm. since high school. Even in Alabama, it was different every single year. So we're talking about, what, six, seven years in a row now where he's having to pick something different up. Uh, you know, I, I want to see it, – it's kind of a shame that he got hurt when he did last year the second time he hit his head on the ground because the Dolphins were they were struggling in December. You know, lost to the Niners, got bullied by the Chargers on Sunday Night Football, lost to the Bills. And so we never really got to see that offense at full strength work its way out of those struggles. We saw the NFL's counter to their offense and we never got to see Miami punch back. So there's still kind of like a big hanging question over this offensive uh, effectiveness now that it's on tape how to beat them if you jam these receivers at the line of scrimmage they have yet to prove this offense has yet to prove that you know they can go beyond the the script beyond the rhythm and timing of what's expected to what, what they're expected to do but uh, so that's what i want to see out, out of tua can he check out a place can he make plays off script can he know when to say die that's what got him in trouble yeah. those two you know the two documented concussions last year were him extending the play far beyond it needed to be extended. So, you know, and that might be, again, just not trusting the system, not being 100% comfortable with it and trying to kind of make something out of nothing. Hmm. So I want to see that in year two. Beyond that, man, this is basically the same offense. Yeah. It is basically the same offense. You still got Tyree. You still got Jalen Waddle. You add in a Braxton Berrios, that's a, that's a weapon out of the slot. Robbie Chosen had a good spring as well. That speed is still there. Then the X factor I really want to see is Devon A. Chain, the third round running mm. back out of Texas yep. A&M. It's good. If you're watching the if you're watching the draft, you know they took Cam Smith, the cornerback, in the second round, and you know Mike is you know kicked back, texting his wife. He said they take Devon A. Chain. He is pumping fisted <laughs> like, yeah, man, that's my guy. So like, I know he they drafted him with a plan, and he was he was polished as a receiver in the spring. Uh, I don't know what opportunities are going to be there as a runner since they still have Mostert and Wilson, 
But this is a guy who I, I think they're going to use all over the field and uh, who could really make an impact once he's comfortable with the speed of the game. Well, I don't appreciate you just breezing past the cornerback. That was their first pick. They don't have a first-round pick. They didn't have one last year. They don't have one next year because they was cheating. So there's that. <clears throat> but um, what have you heard about Cam Smith as the as a, a player? Is he ready now? Is he making an impact, or is it not much buzz around him? Yeah, well, Dolphins fans, some Dolphins fans, you know, the, the foil helmets will swear that he is Xavier Howard's future replacement. That is not happening this year. We'll see if he stays healthy. He stays healthy. It's definitely not happening next year either. But what makes him special is, again, his versatility. You heard me say before in the show that defensive backs have to be versatile. They have to be comfortable playing multiple positions in this scheme. That's something that they think Cam Smith can do. He can play inside. He can play outside. He's going to get an opportunity to play inside early on since Nick Needham is still recovering from a torn Achilles. It'll be between him and Cater Cole, who's starting in that nickel, that, that nickel zone, but when, uh, or that nickel spot. But let's say if Ramsey kicks up to safety, you can kick Cam Smith out to outside and uh, presumably there's no drop up. So, you know, he's still a rookie. There's still a lot to, there's still a lot to learn, but the beauty of, you know, iron sharpening iron, if you believe in that philosophy is that you're going to be looking at, two of the fastest players in the NFL right now every time you take the field in Waddle and Hill. That's going to teach you something. You're going to learn something <laughs> about yourself. You're going to learn either you can keep up or you're going to learn, damn, maybe I'm not that fast after all. But yeah, you're going to learn I'm going to have to give something. a bigger cushion when I go out there. All right. Um, you're the perfect person for this question. I think the two big dogs in that division that have proven themselves are the Bills and the Dolphins. You once covered the Bills not too long ago, and you've been to the Dolphins for last year and this year, right? Um, so yep. matching those teams up, who do you give the edge to right now since no one knows those two teams as well as you do? <laughs> Man, that you, is tough. He would that be is... so mad if I asked him this question. <laughs> Why? The record, I get, if I asked you in July, pick the pick the AFC East to be okay. winner. You okay, would okay, be okay, 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 okay. Fine. Don't, don't answer the question. Just talk through the matchups. How about that? Can you do that for me? Talk through the matchups? Thanks. Of course. The Dolphins have a better group of skill players. I still talk to people in Buffalo. I talk to reporters and radio personalities, whatnot, in Buffalo. Oh, I, I would say that too, and there's no fight. And they're like, yeah, yeah hands yeah. down. Problem is, the, the Bills have the best overall player. Mm-hmm. They have the best overall player. It's why last year, you know, they played down here in week uh, two, week three, mm-hmm. and the Bills had nobody healthy on defense. It was like all second and third string, and you know they're ready to. They're ready with the asterisks and the caveats. I was like, I don't care if I'm playing defense if i'm playing safety for the bills right now if josh allen is on the field if josh allen's on the other side of the ball you have a chance to win whatever whatever game you play right. he's that good he's that dynamic so that's what ultimately levels any playing field out despite the additions despite the star power and how many you know the how high octane miami's offense is they still got to stop josh allen and they haven't been able to do that over the past three four years uh the, the bills it's been it, i think they're I want to say eight and one in their last nine or seven and one in their last eight against Miami. The one being that week two game last year, but they're close now. Like it's always a, it's always a fight. It's always coming down to a possession or two. So you just kind of get the feeling that, okay, one of these guys, one of these seasons, like the dolphins are going to finally get the upper hand in that matchup. I think it might be this year though. Like I think that they're overall better team on either side of the ball. I think the, the bills, are kind of I don't want to say skating by on on Josh Allen's greatness, mm-hmm. but that roster 
doesn't look as strong as you would think for a team that's expected to compete for for a Super Bowl. I, I'm not a huge fan of their depth. I don't love what the draft classes have been over the past several years. Matter of fact, if you look yeah, back on it, it's been Josh Allen, Ed Oliver, and Greg Rousseau. And besides that, a lot of misses. this front office, yeah. it's a lot of misses. Even the free agents, it, it's a trend now. We saw it with John Feliciano. We saw it with Daryl Williams. We've seen it with like, – they'll re-sign these guys, and then, like, the next year they lose their, so they lose their spot, and they're gone. They're cut. All so, right. like, it, it's it's interesting to see. But I think this is kind of the year. This is Miami's year. If they're going to do it, I, I think this is the time they finally overtake Buffalo. But it, it's close, man. It's I say it with a heavy with heavy heart. All right. So, um, <clears throat> will Messi have the same impact that Tyreek Hill had on the Dolphins <laughs> on <laughs> uh, the Miami? What is it? Miami? Yeah. Anyway, we love soccer yeah. here. We're a big MLS fans, as you yeah. can tell. DC United. Let's go. <laughs> love them. Oh yeah. In the spirit. I've been to a couple of other games, man. I yeah. covered a couple, a couple of these games. They are, I think, one of the worst teams in the MLS <laughs> right now. The last time I checked, they're 14th, 15th on the table. It's not, it's it's not great. You know, soccer is not one of those, you know, one guy can can change yeah. the entire the entire outlook. But I will say it's still the MLS. Yeah. And Messi, he might not be in his prime, but even declining Messi I mean, is the best player in the MLS. I would expect I think best player in the world cup. Score yeah. a goal a game. Wow, he could man. score a goal a game if he wanted. And that's crazy to think about. It's crazy to say. But I think defenses are are, are that I don't want to say bad, but like they're just it's going to be that new of an experience yeah. for these MLS defenses to see a player of his class. And they won't Especially when they keep them. bringing in like Sergio Busquets and Jordi yeah, yeah, Alba. Like, yeah. there's a lot of high end European talent or guys who played high end European football coming over here. I think that experience will be invaluable. More than anything, I hope Messi plays well. Is I like the idea of him and all his boys putting on ski mask and shaking down the United States because essentially what they do is like, oh, okay, y'all got some money over here. Give me some ownership. Hey, Apple, give me some bucks. Everybody, yep. give me everything. Paint a big picture of my face up there. I might give you some quality football. <laughs> I may not, but just give me all your American dollars. Sure. Every single set. He, he turned down what, like a bill? Oh yeah, in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, at, at least the Billy in, Sa I, in Saudi Arabia. I mean, Arabia. okay, and, Q, and people, QOL in Miami yeah, is a great thing for Messi. And people are acting like it was some great noble thing. I'm fine with that, but he turned down a bill to get a bill. It's not like he's coming down here. He is not a martyr. You are are not. You're not out here capernicking, bruh. <laughs> he turned down a bill today for a Billy tomorrow. Exactly. We, for I mean, for stock options in Apple. You know what's gonna be all right. <laughs> Is that Apple? Yeah. It's gonna be all right. So, congrats to you that for Apple being never goes bad. On the, the hottest place on earth, uh, as far as sports are concerned, you guys all go to all your teams go to championships and lose, and also literally the hottest place on earth, <laughs> not Miami, the Dominique Fox of show. Mm. That's where it's the hottest place on earth. You're welcome. Naturally, Marcel. Naturally. One, one, one more uh, McDaniel question: Is he yeah. gonna vape more or less on the sideline this year? <laughs> Now he's only coaching half the ball. More vaping, less vaping. <laughs> I heard uh, he allegedly quit cold turkey. That's what he told. I think it was Barstool or busting with the boys or whatever. I, I remember I talked to him a little bit at you know off the record at the combine, so I'm, I can't disclose the exact contents of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. But I know that he was surprised at how big of a deal yeah. that it, it 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 came to be. He was a little like like can't believe it. 
That man, though, speaking of the combine, though, the most popular person I have ever seen at the NFL combine. I've only been to like four or five. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have a three-minute conversation with this man. A three-minute conversation turned into 15 because everybody that walked by wanted to stop by and say, hey, hey, Mike, hey, man, love that. Love this joke. Hey, man, that was really funny. Great season this year. I was like, y'all sh- go away, please. <laughs> try to get man, you a little better. Not, yeah, not try to build some relationships. <laughs> <laughs> you're killing me bro but yeah the most popular person that i don't know how he still has the energy to do what he does man it's exhausting he doesn't drink yeah there it is <laughs> he's the, the nerd who's whose startup hit big and now everybody want to get close to him leave that alert in, uh, alone let marcel chat it up with the nerd so he can do his job anyway thank you so much for joining us this has been awesome good luck to you survive the heat good luck to your team i know it's more fun when they do well so i'll be rooting for them because i'm rooting for you all right appreciate you marcel appreciate you charlie thank you adi khan christina buswell sarah abbott and the good folks at podville media for letting us use this beautiful studio peace this is the dominique foxworth show ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. 